Hallelujah. How you guys doing? You feeling good? Some of you guys are, yeah. Feeling good? Happy to be in the house of the Lord? If you feel good, say, I feel good. Tell your neighbor right now, tell him, I feel good. Say it with some conviction. Say, I feel good. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. So if you guys are wondering what, uh, what's going on with the ceiling and with the walls, uh, well, last week was, uh, last week was White Day on Monday. Um, but that, that week, that day before, we actually had Pastor's Cafe. So we weren't able to have um, what we're going to have after service today, which is a White Day celebration for the sisters. Uh, so, the, so on Valentine's Day, the sisters all got together and they, they planned out this extravagant, amazing Valentine's Day celebration in Korea. The way they do it in Korea is on Valentine's Day, uh, the, the women buy the guys a gift. And that's like so amazing. Like, I, like in, in America, it's like not like that. And then, um, but in Korea, they do it the opposite way. And then they've created this another day called White Day. In which uh, you guys have been living in Korea, but you know you know what it is. But if you're wondering why all the brothers here are just looking so amazingly good today, uh, it's it's because they got dressed up for this White Day celebration. I mean, look at Noble. Noble, just stand up again. Look at, woo! Look at Mark. There's Mark. Mark. Mark's trying to walk fast. And I got to embarrass Zach too. Look at Zach. Zach, just stand on up. Stand up, Zach. Zach, stand up. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so so a lot of the brothers, they put in a lot of work. And so um, if you're a sister here at the church, we want you to stay afterwards. These brothers, they put in so much work. And so they really want to just be a blessing to the sisters today. Uh, but I'm not here to preach about White Day. <laughs> I'm actually here to preach about love. The title of today's message is, put it on up. No. Are you in love? You know, uh, we've been in this year of intimacy and it's been really good. And even with the white day celebration, you see like all the flowers and stuff up. It's like love is in the air. You know, ever since Pastor Christian announced that like 2011, he felt like the Lord was saying that 2011 for our church would be a year of intimacy. I kid you not. Like everyone was just like, yes, intimacy, relationships. Yes, love. Yes. And I remember that entire time. I'm like. Love? Like, really? Like, intimacy? This is crazy, you know? But as we went into this new year, God is starting to teach us about what it means to really relate to one another. And what it means to be relational instead of functional. And today I want to kind of speak on that actual topic about what it means to be relational. And really I want to talk to you about holiness. Yeah, before I say anything else, as soon as you say holiness, you really need to pray. So let's, uh, let's all bow our heads and I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you that, Lord, you are good. Your desire is for each and every one of us, God. And we thank you, Lord, that, that God, your desire is to draw us near to you. That as much as, Lord God, we are about relationships with one another and being intimate with one another, Lord, the biggest desire you have, God, is for us to be intimate with you. 
And so, Father, I pray that today, Lord, that you would really shift our perspective, God, when it comes to love and shift our perspective when it comes to holiness. And Lord, just begin to open up our hearts, open up our minds. Even right now, God, I speak hearts in this room being made wide open by your spirit. God, I bind every religious spirit. I bind, Lord God, every spirit, Lord God, that would hinder love, every work that would hinder love in this place, God. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would begin to move freely today, God. That your Holy Spirit would move freely, God, to awaken love in your people, God. Lord, where there's been shame and condemnation, God, you would awaken love in this place today, God. Yes, Lord, I pray that, Father, your spirit would just empower me as I speak, God. That the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, God, would be pleasing to you in this place, oh Lord. And we just thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I was meditating on on just what I'm supposed to speak to you about today and what really was on the Father's heart for you today, God kept reminding me, he kept speaking to me about love. And then he started speaking to me about holiness. And I felt really confused. I was like, am I supposed to get up and talk about like just intimacy or am I supposed to talk about, you know, like holiness? Like, don't do this. Don't do that. Like, put up the Ten Commandments on the wall and like just go through them one by one. Like, but God began to speak to me and he's beginning to speak to me real clearly that, Marcus, I want you to speak to my church about holiness. I know whenever. A preacher gets up and starts talking about holiness. Everyone begins to prepare their heart, right? And it's like, holiness. Like, you know, like, I don't want to even want to, like, look up. You know what I mean? And, like, we start getting, like, we start getting a bit fearful, too, because we think, like, at the end, there's going to be this altar call where I'm like, if you've been living a life of sin, come to the front. And everyone's like, oh, come to the front. You know, because, like, every message you've ever heard about holiness has been about that, right? It's been about like, you've got sin in your life. You've been messing up, but God is holy. Come to the front, you know? And, but God has been putting it on my heart that holiness is really about love. And that you cannot separate holiness and love. They come together. When you talk about love, you have to talk about holiness. When you talk about holiness, you have to talk about love. They come in side by side. They are, they're linked. And, you know, whenever you talk about holiness, everyone gets all crazy, right? Everyone starts losing their mind. They start thinking like, oh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Because like, we all like have areas in our lives that maybe we don't feel are right before God. But I want everyone right now to just take a deep sigh of relief. Okay, we're going to do it on three. One, two, three. Because <sighs> I got good news for you. The first thing is that God, God's not holy like you think. I'm going to say that again. Yeah, I just got some confused looks. He's like, huh? God's not holy like you think. And the second thing is that you are holier than you think. You know, so many of us, when we think about holiness, we we just get we just get so beat down. We get so filled with shame 
and the way we look at ourselves and the way we think about holiness is all about what we need to do. And it's all about the, the works that we have and how we can we can make ourselves holy. And we have this picture of God as well, that God is sitting up in his throne and God is so holy and God is so righteous. And, and we cannot even look at God. We can't even approach God. But see, God's not holy like you think. Earlier this week, I was just meditating on scripture and I was just meditating on God just hit me with this revelation that he's not holy like I think. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? Like, I know you're holy. If I say you're not holy, then that means I got to throw out the entire Bible. But you're saying you're you're not holy like I think. What are you talking about? What are you trying to say? And he began to speak to me out of out of John, out of the book of John. And he started speaking to me about this area in the high priestly prayer in John 17, where Jesus begins to start praying. And Jesus, Jesus is praying to the father. And he says, father, he says, don't take them out of the world. Right. And then he says, he says, to, he says to the father, he says, for their sake, I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified. And I'm like, OK. I read this and I'm like, well, what is this talking about? And in John 17, when Jesus says that, he says that he sanctifies himself. He consecrates himself for our sake so that we may be sanctified in truth. And I start reading, I keep reading. And and what is the truth? I keep reading even further on. Everyone just turn to John 17, actually. Is John 17 is verses, uh, verses, verse 19. And he says, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And that word consecrate means to be made holy. And that word sanctified means to be made holy. And Jesus is saying right there that he makes himself holy so that we may be holy in truth. And I'm like, okay, well, what truth is that, God? And I keep reading and I go on to the next, I go on to uh, verse 23. And he says that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You know, Jesus set himself apart. He consecrated himself so that we may be holy in love. The revelation I want to give to you today is that holiness is not something you do and holiness is not something that you work towards. That holiness in the Bible is represented by pure love. Holiness in the Bible is love in its purest form. You know, you think about a relationship, you think about a marriage. Um, I don't know how many married couples we got in here right now. But you think about a marriage where two people are married. They have set themselves apart for one another, right? They have made this covenant with one another that they will be set apart, that they will be holy in love. And if you take the holiness out of the love, if you take the holiness out and all you have is just two people that are just, I like you, I like you too. But there's no holiness. There's no being set apart. 
you don't really have love, do you? You don't really have a covenant. You don't really have people that are wholly committed to one another. If one of those people in that marriage decides that they don't want to be consecrated to that other person and they decide that maybe they want to sleep with someone down the road, do we really have love anymore? Each and every one of us in this place would say, no, you don't have love. But we would say, we would say, so from that, we understand that holiness and love come together. Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, for our sake, Jesus set himself apart. He consecrated himself that we may be sanctified in truth. That word sanctified says being made perfect. That truth means to be made perfect in love. In 1 John 4, it says that God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And it says in this way, in love, that love is made perfect in us. I may be losing some of you right now. But what I'm trying to get to is that God's holiness and God's love are all, they're so connected that it's almost the same thing. That when you read the Bible and you read about God's, everything that God's does, God's wrath, you read about God's, uh, God's mercy, you read about God's judgments, you read about everything that God's, God does in the Bible, it's not because He's holy. So many of us, we've grown up in churches and we've been in these environments where the first thing that we learn about God is God is holy. And then the next thing we learn about God is that God is love. But we got it backwards. Everything that God does in the Bible is not an expression of his holiness. It's an expression of his love. That even God's holiness is an extension of his love. That when we worship God and we say, God, you're worthy to be praised. God, you are, you are so amazing. God, you are so worthy. You're so holy. What we're saying is, God, you're so set apart. You're so pure that I can entrust you with my love. I can give you my love. And the nature of God and the nature of the Father is that his holiness and love are so intertwined. That when God does move and when God does act, everything that he does, even his judgments, even his wrath, is meant to separate himself from everything that hinders love. You know, when we read in the Bible about about God bringing about his judgments, right? So many of us, we read it and we get we get hit with this fear and this fear comes upon our hearts. We read about like the woes and we read about these different things and And our understanding of it is that God is coming to judge us. But beloved, God doesn't come to judge you. God didn't come to judge you. He came to separate evil from our lives. You know, everything, even since creation, you look in Genesis chapter one, when God created the Garden of Eden, right? He created what? He created the tree, the tree of life. And then he created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he created Adam. And it's so funny that our understanding is that, you know, God gave us, he gave us a choice, right? That he gave us the tree of life and he gave us the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, you know, Adam just made a bad choice. But if you understand God's heart, even from the place of creation, God's heart has always been to separate us from evil. His heart's always been for us to be holy in love. 
When God created those two trees, he told Adam right in that moment, he said, Adam, he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat of it, you will surely die. He spoke to Adam in that way. He was pretty much saying, Adam, I want you to be holy. I want you to stay away from the knowledge of good and evil. Because it will hinder love. And when I read that passage, I always get really, when I read in Genesis, like from the beginning of the Bible, I just, as soon as I picked up my Bible from like the first two chapters, I'm already confused. Because I was like, why would God not want me to have a knowledge of good and evil? Like, isn't that good? But see, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created everything, he said it was what? Good. He already said it was good. When he created Adam, he said, he said, this is what? Very good. Everything that God made, God made in his goodness. And Adam already had an, a knowledge of good. It was a knowledge of evil that Adam didn't have. And that word knowledge in the Hebrew, if you go and you break that word down, and that word, it means to have an intimate knowledge with. It means to be intimate. It, it, when they use that word in the Bible, it's the same thing as saying almost laying together with that very thing. And what God was saying to Adam is he was saying, Adam, I don't want you to become intimate with evil. I don't want you to become intimate with sin. And everything that God has done from that place on has been not to separate us from himself, but to separate us from evil. To separate us from things that hinder love. But that's not our understanding. That's not how we've been raised. The way we understand ourselves and in our relationship with God is that God is up on high and he is high and exalted. And we are separated from God. And that we need to do something. To come close to him. That God in his very heart and his very nature is actually for us to be separated from him. When we come into church on Sundays, we come in and we spend the first 15 minutes repenting. Because we believe that God's desire is not for us, not to draw near to us. We believe that God's desire is not for love. We believe that God's desire is for judgment. That God's desire is to separate us from him. When God's desire is to separate the evil from us. So many people read the Bible as a manual to get free from sin. When it's really a love letter. When it's really God just simply showing his desire. For you to be drawn near to him. Holiness. Is about love. In our passage for today, John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And what God was hitting me with was that so many of us, we have the wrong revelation of even this very, this very scripture. Because we believe that because we believe that God wants to separate us from himself and not separate the evil from us. We spend all our time trying to work to obey his commands because we believe that our obedience to his commands is evidence of our love for him. 
when that's not what Jesus was saying at all. We believe that Jesus was saying that, you know, try harder. Obey my commands. And the better you obey my commands, that will be more and more evidence that you love me. And so when we come into the sanctuary, we know that we've kind of messed up a bit on obeying those commands. Because we've been spending all our time trying to obey the commands, obey the law. When Jesus was actually saying, love me. Love me and you will obey my commands. That if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Holiness is about setting your affections towards God, not your deeds. Holiness is about turning your heart towards God, not your works. But so many of us, we have this shame. We have maybe the wrong understanding of what holiness and love is. I want everyone, I want you to turn to Song of Songs. It's right before Isaiah. I had to remind myself. And I just want to read from verses 5 to 7. If you know about the Song of Solomon, uh, it's understood to be the, the biblical the biblical example of romance. So like if you're pursuing someone and you want, you want, to, like you want to know how, you just read the Song of Songs. Like that's, that's pretty much what it was used for. But it's also understood to be a picture of God's love for us. And in verse one and in chapter one, verses five to seven, the bride, she says, I am very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem. Every time I read this, I thought like, I was like, okay, all right. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm black, but I'm like, I don't know. I just, that's how I always read it. I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but, uh, it's funny. There used to be like this black hair product called like, it's called like dark and lovely. And like, uh, I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, but at a pastor's cafe, at a pastor's cafe, they, they know what I'm talking about. But at a pastor's cafe, uh, there was this time where we had this, uh, where you write down, we were playing this game where you write down, uh, if you could get like any tattoo, what would you get? And then like someone wrote, and then we would guess who it was. Like, you know, like a person got like a bear and it's like, oh, that's obviously you, you know. But this person wrote dark yet lovely. And, and it was like, it was this Korean girl. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Like, you must use black hair products, you know? And, and then, and then everyone was like, well, where do you get that? And she was like, oh, from Song of Solomon? And I was like, oh, oh that, that's from the Bible. I thought that was from like the, the, the hair store that I, my mom used to always go to. She always had these boxes that said dark and lovely on it. And so I was like, oh, that's what it's about. But anyway, sorry, sorry. Got off topic. She said, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keepers of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Stop right there. This bride... She looked at herself and when she looked at herself in the mirror, she only saw herself as someone who was burned. 
She had spent all her time out in the sun. She had spent all her time working. She had spent all her time slaving away. And all she was left with was being burned. In that, in that scripture right there, when she's taught, she's looking at herself with shame. She's looking at her skin color even with shame. Because in this culture and in this place, it was looked at as a negative thing. The women with fairer skin were the women who veiled themselves and were over on the side. They didn't do the work. And she felt bad about herself. She looked at herself with shame and she said, do not even look at me. Because I'm burned. And that's the way that we approach God, because we don't understand holiness and because we don't understand love. We come before God and we say, God, don't even look at me. God, I'm not even worthy to stand before you. God, don't even look at me because of what I've done in my past. Don't even look at me for the things that I've committed. Don't even look at me, God, because I am dark. And then she goes on in verse seven and she says, why should I be like the ones who veil herself beside the flocks of your companions? She says, God, why would you even love me? I'm burned. I've been trying my best to work and work for this salvation, work and work for your love, work and work. But I'm burned now. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. You know, God, I can understand you pouring out your love and your favor on maybe a pastor or maybe on a full time minister. Like maybe someone like John Michael, you know, John Michael, like so holy. Like Pastor Christian, you know. But not me. God, I'm burned. God, you know, the things that I've done. God, I fail each and every time. Lord, I want to be pure. I want to stop looking at that. I want to stop doing this. I want to. But God, the more and more I work, I feel the more and more burned I get. There's another place where where we see this. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is a famous passage where we we talk about holiness. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you new revelation. Isaiah is in the temple. And he's in there and he's in the temple and he's praying. And he sees he sees a vision and he sees God in his manifest presence just manifests and comes into the temple. Right. And he sees God and God comes into that place. And he sees it and he sees he sees a vision of him sitting up on his throne. He sees God. Right. And when we understand that when we, we read this passage, we, we just we focus in on God's holiness. Right. The seraphim are just shooting back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And that's the way we understand it. And we and we focus in on that. And and Isaiah did, too. Because in that very moment, when God shows up and he has this clear vision of heaven. When God came to him, 
God didn't say anything to Isaiah. You know, when God shows up, God never comes and says, you're a sinner. God never shows up and says, you're, you're unholy. God never shows up and says, you're unrighteous. That's never how God shows up. But that's how we, that's how we envision it. But God never said anything to Isaiah. And in that conversation between Isaiah and God, you know who spoke first? Isaiah. And what did Isaiah say? He said, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of an, in a land of unclean people. And then as he declares this out and he speaks this out before God, one of the angels, they go and they grab a coal, right? And they touch his lips and he says, behold, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that the first thing that the angel says is not that your sin has been taken away. He says your guilt. He says your guilt's been taken away. Most of us, when we come into the presence of God, we're filled with so much guilt. We say, God, I am dark. Do not even gaze at me. Woe to me, God, because I am a man of unclean lips. You know, Isaiah focused on his lips. But the Bible says that as a man thinks of himself, so he is. And the Bible says, Jesus said that out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So what does that say about Isaiah in the presence of God? How did Isaiah see himself before God? He saw himself as unclean. And he saw himself as completely and utterly common. And that's how we view ourselves in the presence of God. God, I am unclean. And God, why me? Why not someone else? But in that very moment, both in Song of Solomon and in Isaiah, we see something miraculous happen. We see God come. We see the beloved come. We see the beloved come to them. And when the beloved speaks to his bride, he doesn't speak of her being dark. Instead, he just arrays her with just praise. And he tells her how beautiful she is. And he tells her how amazing she is. And in the same way, when Isaiah is standing before God, God sends forth his angel and he comes to Isaiah. And he touches him and he makes him clean. Here at Itaewon, God has filled this house with many amazing people. You are all amazing. But let me just speak into your life a bit. So many of us, God has placed amazing calls upon your lives. He's put calls on your lives, not just to shake your school or not just to shake your family 
or not just to do some good things here and there. He's put calls on your lives to shake nations. But the thing that hinders it is shame and guilt. Feelings of unworthiness. You know, the first thing that Isaiah said to himself was, woe to me. You know that word woe? It means in the Bible, when you look at the word woe, it means like the worst form of judgment. And so many of us, when we enter into the house of God, we judge ourselves. We say, God, woe to me. Before God even speaks, we say, woe to me. In our hearts, we speak, woe to me. We say, God, I'm unclean and I'm common. Why would you even look to me? But you know, when you're filled with shame and you're filled with condemnation, what you will try to do is you will try to work for your salvation. And you will try to work for approval. And you will try to work for holiness. And you will try to work to feel right. And you'll spend most of your time singing before God just saying, I'm sorry. So that hopefully by the end of the service, you'll feel better. When that's not God's heart for you. God's heart for you. Is not for you to turn your deeds to him. It's not for you to try harder. It's for you to just allow him to love you. And to love him back. We think that it's about what we can do and we think it's about our works and we think that it is all about us. But it's not about us at all. It's about God. See, God's holiness is defined by his love. He sets himself apart as a bridegroom would set himself apart in holiness for his bride. Because his desire is for us to see his love and his devotion so that then in love we would set ourselves apart. If your motivation is to just do better, you will always fail. I'm telling you the truth. If it's to come up with better habits and a better plan, you'll have the method but lose the heart. But God wants your heart. The thing about David that God loved so much about David was that David had hidden God's law, not in his mind, not in his hands, not in his actions, but he had hidden his law in, God, in his own heart. 
you know, it says in Jeremiah chapter 33 that that God was going to bring a new covenant. And in that new covenant, he wouldn't write the law. It wouldn't be on tablets of stone. It wouldn't be based upon our works anymore. It wouldn't be, you know, when Moses carried the law, he carried it in his what? Hands. Because it was a it was a matter of works. But in the new covenant, God writes the law upon our hearts. Because it comes out of our heart. You know, God hit me with a revelation this week. And it broke me. It broke me because I was realizing that. While I've been searching and working for God's approval and for people's approval. That's not how God works at all. God says. I don't want you to work for approval. I want you to work from approval. I want you to stand in who I say you are. Because I already say that you are pure. I already say that you are holy. I already say that you are justified. By the work of Jesus on the cross, I have already made you clean. I, you are fully accepted. You are fully loved. In Revelation chapter 19, at the end, at the end of all things, there's this thing, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In verses 6 and 7, it talks about, he heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out from heaven, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. His bride is the church. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The thing that noted, the thing that notes us being a bride is not that we work. We are the bride of Christ. That is our identity as the church. We are not only sons of God, but we are also the bride of Christ. But the thing that notes it is not the fact that God has brought us to a place where we have worked hard enough and we built things up and we work things through with our hands. It's that we are noted by love. And from that place, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That holiness was given to her as an extension of her love. The love was exemplified by the holiness and the holiness came only through the love. I feel like 
that that God wants to bring a shift in Itaewon. That we stand and we look to Him and look to His love before we look to anything that we do. Because the more you look at God and the more you fix your gaze upon God, and the more in love you become with God, the more you become like Him. The Word actually says as we see Him, we become more like Him. If you're wondering how... To fall in love. How can I. How does this love arise in, him, in me? My word to you is to stop trying. Stop trying to make it happen. But to allow his love to come. Let us all bow our heads. There's so many of you in this house that that when you enter into the house of God, you don't enter in, you don't enter his courts with thanksgiving. You don't enter with praise. You enter with shame. And, you, and it's because you believe that holiness is all about what you've done and what you haven't done. You believe that it's all about the things that you've done in the past. And you feel like God is actually still holding over your head the things that you've done. As if God has this list. And that there's some sins that there's sins that you've committed in the past that God is still taking God some time to forgive you for or something. And so when you enter in, you're, 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 almost, in, you're almost here because you feel like that if I keep being faithful and if I keep working at it. That one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to really experience God's acceptance. I'm really going to experience God's love. But beloved, that is wrong. That's not what it says. That's not what God's heart is. That's not what it says in his word. That's not his heart conveyed towards you. He just says, come. He just says, come. I will purge you with hyssop. I will create in you a clean heart. I will create in you that righteousness that you so desire. I will create in you that love. I will be the one to do it. Just come to me. Many of you have grown so weary and burdened in your Christian walk. But Jesus says, just come to me and I will give you rest. You can rest in my arms. there's a shame this fear of rejection you feel like Isaiah 
But I feel like right now God wants to, he wants to encounter you right now. He wants to show you that before you were even in your mother's womb, he knew you. He chose you. He loves you. So right now, if you've, if you've been feeling this shame, you've been feeling this, where you have this, you have this inner desire to be drawn closer to God and love, but you're, you're, you just feel like, God, I'm so frustrated because I keep failing in the ways I want to walk, God, but I feel like I keep failing and I carry all this shame, God. I feel like a man of unclean lips. I just want you to stand to your feet. I just want you to stand to your feet because God wants to touch you with his truth, with his love. He wants to sanctify you in his truth. He wants to sanctify you in his truth that in the same way that God the Father loves the Son, God the Father loves you. So right now, I want you to just stand to your feet.